The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 13. Hello, and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Henrity. Last week, we finally got to hear our protagonist and title character get a word in. The king has moved down the order of business for the day's statecraft and asked his nephew slash stepson what the reason might be for his continued gloom. Our hero is wearing black, remember his father is recently deceased, but his mother questions this protracted mourning. Hamlet's response to her is passionate, elegant, and entirely consumed with the question of what it is to be rather than to appear to be. Shakespeare has built up our anticipation for this young man, but what we get is a gloomy, philosophical kind of killjoy who isn't playing along with the carefully orchestrated statecraft that Claudius is trying to impose. Is this to be our hero? Claudius certainly does his best to manage the situation. After Hamlet's account of his mourning, Gertrude has nothing to say, and it is the new king who moves in, trying his best. "'Tis sweet and commendable in your nature, Hamlet, to give these morning duties to your father. But you must know your father lost a father. That father lost, lost his, and the survivor bound in filial obligation for some term to do obsequious sorrow. There's nothing particularly complicated here. Not least, Claudius is being rather patronising here, so there's even a sense that he is speaking clearly and slowly for young Hamlet— so that he can understand this version of the circle of life. But there's a sting in it too. Claudius is almost taunting Hamlet with the word father. He says it four times in rapid succession and then follows it with filial obligation. Remember that Shakespeare's audience were far more audio than visual and were attuned to hear the language in ways we think more intense than our own. Certainly I get a sense of Claudius giving an apparently decent, measured speech, but one that can simultaneously torture the grieving son, and of course there's a huge amount for an actor to explore and to play with here. Obsequious here appears in the original sense of the word coming from obsequies, the official term for funeral rites. Nowadays it means obedient and flattering to an excessive degree, but I think the inference is more to do with the former. Mourning appears in many different registers in Shakespeare. There's the shocking scene in Richard III, wherein the title character manages to seduce a woman over her husband's coffin. Helena, in All's Well That Ends Well, mourns but also yearns. Then there's Constance in King John, who has some of the most beautiful evocations of grief in all of literature. And, of course, there's the gentle mockery of the clown Feste in Twelfth Night, who manages to make the mourning Olivia laugh despite her own obsequious sorrow for her dead brother. The dangers of excessive mourning were obviously something Shakespeare considered frequently, and Claudius has more to say on the matter now. But to persevere in obstinate condolement is a course of impious stubbornness. Tis unmanly grief. It shows a will most incorrect to heaven, a heart unfortified, a mind impatient, an understanding simple and unschooled. The king is letting the mask drop a little bit here and showing his teeth. We've gone very quickly from filial piety and obsequious sorrow to obstinate condolement. The speed of thought here is ferocious. Claudius is warning Hamlet, 
and indeed moves equally quickly from obstinate condolement to impious stubbornness. And if that wasn't enough, he then moves as far as calling it unmanly grief. He's pulling no punches here. The message is very clear. He's not at all impressed. It shows a will most incorrect to heaven, as it were, is a sign of somebody who does not trust in divine providence, or has the arrogance to assume that their life should deserve special treatment. And Claudius continues with the takedown. A heart unfortified or weak, a mind impatient or incapable of suffering and surviving, an understanding simple and unschooled. This is maybe the worst thing you can say to someone as brilliant as Hamlet, whose life is entirely in his mind. You're being naive and ignorant. It's so fast that you might actually miss it, but here, in just a few short lines, the king has called Hamlet obstinate, impious, unmanly, unnatural, weak, incapable, stupid, and uneducated. Not only that, but these are all facets of Hamlet's character that will come to the fore throughout the play, because he's the opposite of all of them. Shakespeare is drawing us a map of things to come, planting little seeds of things that we should listen out for. It's amazingly detailed. Claudius' speech continues, since, of course, he can't just stop after such a complete takedown of the young prince. He needs to work his way out of this, and this is where he takes it next. For what we know must be and is as common as any the most vulgar thing to sense. Why should we, in our peevish opposition, take it to heart? Fie, tis a fault to heaven, a fault against the dead, a fault to nature, to reason most absurd, whose common theme is death of fathers, and who still hath cried, from the first corpse till he that died today, this must be so. The patronising continues. Just when we, and perhaps the whole assembled court, and certainly Hamlet himself, might be on the brink of saying, did he really just say that? Claudius turns it around and makes it far more general again. He's trying to make the point that, honestly, everybody dies. It's not something that is in any way helpful to say to someone in mourning. Grief takes time. Shakespeare knew this. Hamlet feels this, even if his mother and his uncle do not. I personally had a very bizarre moment when my own mother passed away. I was in Los Angeles at graduate school, and within an hour or two of hearing the news, I had nothing else to do. I had booked my flights home, and that was that. So I went to the class for which I was a TA, and I told the professor what had happened. The response I got was not particularly sympathetic. I got a fairly blank look, and then I was told by this person, oh well, they never really leave us. Needless to say, perhaps we haven't kept in touch. So... Of all things, I certainly sympathise with Hamlet when he's not really getting any support here from the king. Claudius is clearly determined to teach Hamlet in this circumstance. We all know that death is part of life. It's the most obvious and ordinary thing in the world, he says. What kind of a peevish child would take it to heart? He gets as far as an exclamation in here with a little fi, and then calls it a fault to heaven, against the dead, to nature, to reason, appealing to any and all of the things that Hamlet might hold in high regard. This continued mourning is irreligious, disrespectful to the dead, and to the national order, and even to reason in its absurdity. He's pointing out that death of fathers is entirely common, remember we've had that word a little earlier in a different context, and that from the first corpse to he that died today, Claudius insists 
this must be so. And, picking up from where he was going earlier with the repetition of the word father, this time we get fault, fault, and fault three times in a row, and then father again. Bear in mind, we still don't know anything about the circumstances of King Hamlet's death. We aren't aware of how he died, or why he's haunting the battlements, or anything just yet. It's only Act 1, Scene 2 of this potboiler. But Claudius makes a very unfortunate biblical reference in his speech here. The first corpse that he mentions was that of Abel, who was murdered by Cain, a brother who killed a brother. Nobody suspects anything of the sort just yet in the play, but of course we, from our more distant perspective, do know that Claudius indeed killed the king, his brother. It's another blink-and-you'll-miss-it reference, and it's not a spoiler per se, but the attentive ear will hear it, and of course Shakespeare doesn't leave us hanging. There are two further references to Cain and to Abel as the play goes on. Claudius still has a few parting shots for his embarrassingly gloomy nephew before he concludes the day's business and leaves the stage, but we will have to leave that until next week. Thank you for listening, and as ever, you can find show notes and links to previous episodes on the website, thehamletpodcast.com. You can subscribe and download the show from wherever you like to get your podcasts, and I hope you'll join me next time for episode 14.